call is now being recorded. Welcome to the V2V podcast uh, with Aurelius. I am Aurelius, and with me today is uh, J.C. Henderson, and she is a uh, troubled teen facility survivor and a student at Tufts University. And today we're going to be talking to her about uh, her experiences in um, this uh, therapeutic boarding school and what it was like there and uh, what, you know, what she learned while she was there and, and how and how it affected her and um, maybe we'll get to, you know, some solutions. I'm not sure. Welcome to the show, JC. Thank you. I'm really glad to be talking to you right now. Uh, well, a lot of thanks. people don't do any work around the troubled teen industry, so it's nice to have someone doing some kind of interviews and trying to get the word out. Well, yeah, I noticed that, and that's kind of why I wanted to start doing these interviews, because I wasn't hearing a lot, um, at least kind of out in the public, uh, regarding kind of what goes on behind the scenes um, in these places, and I want to really take uh, the approach of of being as objective as possible and trying mm-hmm. not to um, prejudge or say that this is bad or this is good, but rather let the people who've experienced um, these places speak, you know, freely for themselves and and tell their stories. Uh, yeah. Before we kind of get into what you went through, can you kind of give me and and the audience? an idea of, of like basically what the troubled teen industry is or, or, or the, um, I know there's an organization, the worldwide association of specialty schools, there's wilderness Mm -hmm. camps. So can you kind of uh, explain what we're talking about? Yeah. So the troubled teen industry is sort of like an all encompassing word used to describe wildernesses, um, therapeutic boarding schools, residential treatment centers that all aim at either providing mental health care to teenagers, uh, making them more compliant, making kids listen to their parents. Some places uh, practice gay conversion therapy. Other places, um, maybe if your kid's transgendered and you don't want them to be transgendered, certain places that you can send them to will give you the option of forcing them to live the gender that you wish them to be, stuff like that. Um, the troubled teen industry also is some public teen uh, treatment centers that are ran by the state. There's some of those that I would say would probably qualify as that, even though it's not necessarily the same big corporate money, they still do some of the same tactics. Or there um, are partnerships with with the states and um and the private institutions like uh private public partnerships mm-hmm. so they might get some funding or or um uh, um take a particular insurance or maybe take like um i know that each state regulates uh the the facilities in their on their own terms it's not a mm-hmm. there aren't federal guidelines to my understanding so so yeah, state, there's not. Each state manages um, 
like that kind of public health on their own terms. Like, so it varies mm-hmm. from state to state, like what kind of you're going to get. And then, of course, there's the international aspect, too. Yeah. So where, uh, say, yeah. oh, sorry. So say you're in Massachusetts. Massachusetts, uh, I believe, this is what I was told by my, my um, therapist in Massachusetts, who's a psychologist, restraints, physical restraints outside of a hospital setting are illegal in Massachusetts. So there's hardly any residential treatment centers or therapeutic boarding schools there because a lot of them, instead of training their staff better, they rely on physical restraints instead of getting proper facilities. It's just cheaper to hold down a kid instead of having the proper um, environment for them to be in with the proper trained staff. So Massachusetts doesn't necessarily have the same kind of problems, not saying that their mental um, hospitals for teens are very good because I've heard some stuff about um, some abuse going on there, but they don't necessarily attract this industry like states do, like Utah, North Carolina, Georgia, Missouri. Those right. states don't just, have those kinds of regulations. I There was an article about um, a young man who um, – escaped from a facility in Utah last week, mm-hmm. and he was 13. They, they defined him as a, a wayward youth. I, I would I imagine that means that he, um, I don't know if that means he like used to run away from home or things like that, but um, what yeah. happened is that he left with across the desert with um, like a jug of water, and then they found him several hours later on the side of the road, hot, hungry, but safe. And the last line in this little article was that they were going to send him to a facility with better security. Like that, and that seemed really kind of scary to me, but that that was yeah. the ultimate solution is like, because there was really nothing in the article about any kind of therapeutic value that this kid was getting. And, yeah. And the fact that he took a, such a risk to try to make his way across the Utah desert. Yeah, it says makes something you think, about like, where what? he escaped from. Like, mm-hmm. like, what's going on there? I think there needs to be much more investigation. But mm-hmm. it's difficult. 13-year-old kids don't a... just run across the desert. <laughs> right. Right. And I know there's some difficulty in getting good information from the outside because mm-hmm. a lot of cases these are private institutions and they have yeah. no obligation they have no obligation to let anyone in like those mm-hmm. doors are closed like there's not really a you can't really make a public inquiry that's meaningful that will really get you um good results in my experience they're just going mm-hmm. to either say no or tell you that everything is fine. Yeah. But when stuff like that happens, it just really makes you wonder what's going on. And that has a lot to do with why I, I decided to talk to people to find out, um, to kind of lift the veil on on this whole, whole thing and, and find out what's really going on. Because, you know, these are kids, and, and, they, and they come back out into the world after having been been through these programs and they don't generally talk about it because when it's difficult people don't understand they 
they don't necessarily believe even believe them because some of these stories are so outrageous that it's hard to believe that yeah they, like you were saying um all the restraint tactics it makes you wonder like what what kind of behaviors are these kids exhibiting to to even find the need to hold you know restrain yeah. somebody and hold them down like so I, I that's that's really interesting about like Massachusetts and that they that's prohibited so there's far less of these programs there that that's a really good point and it, it says a lot without without really even trying like oh mm-hmm. they don't do that there so therefore there aren't as many programs that yeah, it would be more expensive. Well, sure, they can't because you'd actually have to kids. apply real therapy to, yeah. to people. Right, right. <laughs> um, yeah, um, that uh, it's really kind of mind-blowing that they, you, a place would want to take the, basically the easy way out when it, when it comes to treating, you know, young young people with uh quote unquote problems in in the most brutal or non caring ways. Like it, yeah. it's much more expensive to actually help people, I guess. Mm-hmm. Or at least the profit margin goes down. Mm-hmm. Right. I agree. So let's um Let's talk a little bit about kind of your your particular experience, like sure. um, for wherever from however you want, like what got yeah. you there and, and what was it like? So when I was 14 years old, I was diagnosed with emerging borderline personality disorder at Menninger Clinic in Houston. Um, they're top notch. Love the place. Everyone's super nice there. I don't think they were aware of what went on at the place they sent me. They had someone from Menninger come and check up on the place because they'd sent several girls there. Um, and the place put on a face when they were there. We had to clean everything for the guests coming in. We had to make sure the pillows were put on the couches in the right places. I think I, I'm not 100% sure. I know for parents, they put food out and make it look like we have access to just food tables with fruit on them all the time, which was not true. Um, so things would just look a lot nicer when we would have guests we would have tours for parents so we would all like uh, make sure everything was really clean we didn't have a cleaning staff until I was there for about seven months Um, it was just students who cleaned and then they had a cleaning staff that would clean the school area and then the bathrooms after seven months there so um, anyway so I get sent there my first day from Menninger, and my parent had had a transporter similar to the ones that kidnap kids at night, except mine didn't kidnap me at night. I was aware they were taking me. Um, they came and picked me up from Menninger in the middle of the night, and I just thought that my mom didn't trust that I was going to run away because I didn't want to go to this place. So she has this lady um, transporting me. And when I was at Menninger, you know, we used to make jokes about staff like being next to you when you had to for safety reasons and the staff would joke with you because it's a little awkward right um 
so my transporter says that if I leave, like, five feet of her, she's going to physically restrain me. And that was whenever I thought something was a little up. Because at Nenninger, they couldn't touch you. It, they could not. And so that was, like, my first red flag that something wasn't right. But then I thought it was just the transporter. So I started to get a little scared. And she told me, you know, she's dropped kids off to this place before. Um, it seems like a nice place. There's always laughter. So I started to feel a little bit more comfortable about it. Um, we go through the whole airport thing. We get there. Um, and when I first drive up, there's a bunch of girls playing out in the snow in the front. And, you know, I've never seen snow at this point because I'm from Texas. So I oh, get wow. excited because I think I'm going to go, you know, start playing with all these girls in the front in the snow. And so I get in, and the first thing I ask is, when can I go out into the snow? And my parents there, she's in a back office, so I also asked if I could see my parent. And they said, no, that's not possible right now, that they were going to check me in. They were going to go through all my stuff. My transporter left, said goodbye to me. And so they start going through my things and just talking about some of the rules there. They had my big sister come up and introduce herself. She was 21 at the time. I was 15, going into the same center. Um, oh, she was there too? She, yeah, she was 21, mm-hmm. which I didn't think was, that was legal. Now that I'm out, I, I don't believe that you can have someone 21 with 15-year-olds. But anyway, so she was um, my big sister. She told me all the rules about the place. They seemed a little odd, like I couldn't call my parent. um they're really strict about clothing. Uh, I think they might have had a rule about underwear. I'm not, I don't 100% remember. There was something weird that was really personal written on there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they were like, okay, well, it's time to go say goodbye to your parent. They had me an arm's length of a staff member, which they did at Menninger, but I'd never had that happen to me because I wasn't a risk for suicide at the time. So I had to stay an arm's length of a staff member. So at Menninger, anytime I'd seen kids do that, I was 15, just turned 15. So I thought it was hilarious when they would run away and make the staff chase them. And the staff would do it at Menninger for a little bit. I mean, it wasn't a safety concern. So I have a staff member an arm's length of me, so I thought it would be funny if I just walked to the other side of the room and was like, hey, you have to, like, keep up with me. She screamed at me, told me how I was being extremely unsafe, how – they were going to put me on these precautions so I couldn't um, shower or use the bathroom alone. Just all from walking across the room. Yeah, and she told like, me that wow. I'd lost, like, all the trust, like, that I'd had when I first walked in. Like, So then they put me on a two-to-one staff ratio, so I had two staff following me around. Hmm. And so then I went and I said goodbye to my mom. I asked her, you know, I said, I don't think this is the place, Mom. I something's really sketchy. Uh, can you we try a different place, you know, like blah, blah, blah. And they, they looked at her and they said, you know, kids say this when they come here. And so I yelled at him and I was like, you stay out of it. Like, Mom, this is not the place. Like, please, can I go to the other one? Because Meninger had several places they suggested. This is the one I chose. Okay. Because um, I spoke them with them on the guess, phone. Right, well, just, yeah, well, the, I, mean, I called them on the phone. And the first place I called okay. said I would be watched when I showered when I first got there and I was like oh no that's not going to happen no. so I chose the place that said that wouldn't happen and it did happen okay so my parent leaves 
uh, I just remember sitting there just kind of in shock. Um, I asked for my parent to be present when they made me take my clothes off because at the hospital, my parent was present when they had me stripped down. Right. Uh, I thought that I had that right. And so they told me, no, that I, they were my legal guardian, that I had to take all of my clothes off if I wanted to be able to, like, participate in anything. And so it took them a couple of hours, but finally, because I had some sexual trauma that I did not want to take my clothes off in front of these strangers that I didn't trust. And right. so they made me take my clothes off completely naked, and they searched through my clothes. I remember them, like, carefully inspecting my underwear. It's so humiliating. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd never had that happen at the two places I was at prior. At the other place I was at, they had me take my shoes off. They patted my clothes down and checked my pocket. And, I mean, I wasn't – I didn't bring anything in. I didn't have a way to. Um. Right. So later that night, I'm sitting there. I just got really uncomfortable. Uh, I, I asked if I could call the police because they weren't allowing me to call my parent and tell her that they made me take my clothes off. Mm-hmm. So uh, after a while, because I thought, you know, you always have the right to call the police and have a police officer explain to you your rights. Because I was 15 at the time. I didn't think anything of it. So I asked if I could call the police officer, have him come explain to me, like, what they can or can't do. And so they told me I wasn't allowed to do that. That was not going to happen. So I ran away from my staff and I found a wall phone, figured out the dial-out code for some reason, and tried to call 911. And Mm -hmm. as it was ringing, they kept hanging it up until eventually they cleared all the kids out. And then they shuffled me into a room and told me that if I didn't calm down, they were going to physically restrain me, which scared me because it was four big women telling me they were going to all sit on me. and then. They eschewed me down to the basement in, like, a huddle. They, like, put me in the middle of all of them and put me in the basement, and I just felt defeated. I just remember, like, crying, feeling like, what is about to happen to me? This is horrible. I'm so scared right now. And that's whenever I This is your first night, right? My first night. Your first night. Yeah. Right. I hadn't been in there a full day. No, it, like there's so much going on. Mm-hmm. Like that all you, at once. You you might think that oh this happened and this happened like you know a week or two weeks, but mm-hmm. but this is all happening like immediately when you when mm-hmm. you get there, your mom leaves, and then you're in it like all yeah. this stuff just like con- continuously like one thing after another. You sound like. I mean, he sounded. It sounds like you were really frightened. Like, yeah, I was really I mean, that's scared. The, that's the main. That's the main impression that I'm getting. Like so far, is that this sounded really scary. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it man. was. It was really scary. Um, and you know, I wasn't a very like dependent child on my parent at home. Uh, right. I was very independent. You know, I was always out with friends, and. I had not felt this much like a child until I was in this place. I felt helpless. I felt like I couldn't do things for myself. Um, right. That's one of the yeah. things you were talking about is that um, that you you learned what helplessness felt like. Yeah. I learned and what helplessness like, felt like. I learned shame. I learned what truly looking at yourself and feeling like you're disgusting 
is right. at solstice. Yeah. And uh, paranoia, which makes sense. Yeah, oh yeah, because, paranoia. Uh, sure, because you don't. And it's not, I don't correct me if I'm wrong, but but you were kind of learning like the parameters of of what you could and couldn't do, kind of um, in real time. Like yeah, you would yeah you would make a move and then you would be uh, corrected. Um, mm-hmm. Like. So, of course, you feel paranoid because you wouldn't, you didn't, it sounds like you didn't necessarily know, like, what step to take next. Like, yeah. Don't go, don't go left, go right. But, but you only found out that you're supposed to go right after you've gone left and were forced to turn right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> man, it just, this is like, uh, it's it's actually difficult to listen to, uh, because yeah, because I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, this this person is like just turning 15. She went from the place that um, was, you know, reasonable, and these people professionally cared about you, mm-hmm. you know, at Manager, like they they had um, some compassion for for you as a person. Yeah. And but they but they couldn't necessarily give the, you the kind of attention that they said you needed. Mhm. There, correct? Yeah, that's what they said. They said they weren't um built to house people for as long as they felt like I needed treatment. Right. It'd be interesting uh to to get like an appraisal of the treatment that you received there from manager's point of view, you know, like if they yeah. really kind of knew because they're not connected to mm-hmm. these other facilities. So it makes me wonder if they, in other places that provide will be closer to real help, really have a clear idea of, of what goes on. Because I think they yeah, would be opposed to Yeah, I don't believe it. Meninger knew. Yeah, I don't believe right. Meninger knew at all. I called them uh, actually a while back trying to speak with someone to give uh-huh. some complaints about the place they sent me to as a kid just to let them know, like, how it affects me still. Because I had to go to therapy because of the place that I was put in. <laughs> right. I, I spent a right. year in therapy, like, just going over all the trauma from the place I was in. So... My therapist said it would be a good idea and healthy for me to call Menninger and let them know. And they sort of listened to me a little bit, but I don't think they understand the amount of bad stuff that happens at these places and how many places they are. Um, They never really got to, like, letting me tell my story. It was more of just, oh, well, like, we'll transfer you to talk to this person. We'll transfer you to talk to that person. And I don't think they understood how serious I was. So I will be trying to contact them some more. Uh, well, hopefully I, I that. more people yeah. will. I've been trying to <laughs> encourage other people who were through Menninger and then were sent to treatment centers to call as well. Right. The reason I, that's part of the reason I want to get these um, like testimonies regarding what people have been through because the whole is greater than the, the sum of its parts. Like one story from one person regarding one place 
Yeah. To to an administrator somewhere who might care, like they really, you know, care about the welfare of somebody, or 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 a, or, a, uh, or to the state, or to whomever, is just one voice telling one other person about what their experience, but a, a mm-hmm. many voices with that aren't connected to each other. Yeah. Sharing very similar stories um, regarding what they've been through and, you know, when there are differences and, and similarities and it's um, all together we're, I think we're much greater than, than in, as individuals. So yeah, that, you know, that's really kind of the goal here is to get a collection of, of these uh, testimonials from people so that the sheer weight of of all of the experiences can be directed to uh people that can do something about it you know mm-hmm. um and and that's you know that's that isn't the kind of thing that happens overnight but um if you know if we continue to um be diligent and brave people like yourself will like come forward and say, here's what happened to me in a really, in really clear terms. And you're not, you know, it's not like you're, what I'm, what I'm not hearing is a lot of, um, personal judgment or, or, or saying that, that this person's a bad person. Yeah. These people, even the workers themselves, the staff. Oh, they were victims. They're the caught up victims. in this too. Certainly, certainly. So, um, and that's really important to me to to keep it as mm-hmm. as uh, straightforward and objective as possible, like strictly about mm-hmm. kind of what each person went through, so that over time, like, well, people are listening already. Like, it's kind of amazing that. Mm-hmm. The feedback that I'm getting from um, doing these interviews is, has been pretty fantastic, and a lot of like I think you did you see this on Reddit? Yeah, I did, and it was actually right. an ex staff member of mine that showed me the troubled teen thread on Reddit when I reached out to him years later, okay. talking about how like I just could not get over what happened there, and he said he right. couldn't either. Yeah, I I really want to. Uh, uh, do my best to find some parents to talk to, mm-hmm. um, and or and some ex staff uh, as well to to like fully round out the picture of of what goes on in different states. Because I think um, we've I think I've spoken about a place in Samoa, Costa Rica, Massachusetts. Um, I forget where else, but. Um, you know, this is going on all the time, right under our noses, and we don't yeah. really know about it except the people that have been through it. So, um, is there anything else you really want to share? Um, or? Sure. Uh, so, the place that I was in, it didn't necessarily have staff who had any kind of mental health care background. Okay. Um, one of the I think worst staff, meanest, everyone hated them, scariest, 
she was actually, comes to find out, an ex-prison worker in a men's prison working oh, wow. in a girl's, yeah, working in an all-girls, like, mental health care facility. So she was used to, and all her job experience was um, with violent male criminals. Gotcha. She worked giving them treatment on how to not uh, rape people, pretty much. That's what she did. <laughs> oh, my So goodness. she was, like, acted like she was, like, a no-bullshit staff. She's like, oh, well, I'm no-bullshit. I worked in a prison. Like, I know when you guys are all trying to manipulate, and, like, all this. Well, I didn't find out till years after I got out that using the word manipulate to mental, mentally ill people is actually um, not appropriate. They can't help what they're doing. Um, you don't necessarily use the word manipulate anymore to describe someone with borderline because that dehumanizes him. That makes them seem not like a person. They're coping the way that they know how to cope. And so... Uh, we would constantly be told that we were being horrible, manipulating people. Um, one of the worst parts of being there, we had a balcony whenever I was first there. Um, I watched a friend jump off of the balcony when she got loose from staff. She wanted to jump off the balcony because she figured if her parents saw how unsafe the place was, they would let her go home. Mm. So, And she knew it wasn't tall enough to die. It was tall enough to break a leg. Well, she ended up breaking her spine. Oh, wow. Um, she broke her spine. She got to go home, though, and she said that she was happier than ever with a broken spine sitting in her bed at home. That's pretty incredible. Um, yeah, and that was really traumatic to watch. Uh, I was team leader at the time, so she checked in with me and told me that's what she was planning. I told her, please don't, because that's really bad. You're going to hurt yourself. I went to take a shower, and she waited till I was in the shower, and when I walked out, I saw her go over. Well, I just want to pause for a moment and and kind of reiterate this. Uh, A girl that you knew disliked this place so much that she was willing to jump off a balcony, broke her spine, went home, and then reported that she was happier Insured at home than she was at the mm-hmm. uh, at the facility. That's that's oh, pretty yeah. incredible. And cause... one of the first things she said to me was, "It worked." <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, she was no. awesome. She was she's a bad bitch. But that's uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I was gonna say maybe not in the same terms, but uh, yeah, she's a bad bitch. <laughs> incredible. <laughs> um, that's wow. I had another friend. Uh, she had been in there when she first got there. She seemed pretty normal. This happened with a lot of people. And as they were there, things just got worse for them. They would start exhibiting behaviors that just they did not exhibit when they were first there. And I've seen these people outside of treatment, a lot of them, and uh, they seem normal now. There's no weird behaviors. But um, people picked up a lot of weird behaviors in treatment. And so one of my friends who was completely fine, not suicidal before she got there, she was there for um, what their parents described as alcoholism. I'm not sure if they would or not. And so I think the worst, one of the worst days being there was just hearing her being restrained in the basement screaming for about two two hours, I'd say. The screaming went on. Um, it was horrible. And I told the staff, um, I was like, why Why aren't we calling 
someone, police or something, to come get her out of here. And a staff member looked at me and they go, well, we're a certified mental health care facility, so we should be able to deal with this. And that was almost, like, laughable to me that they were right, that, <clears throat> certified. That's not really an answer, though. Sure. Well, yeah. like that, that's an interesting answer because like, we're a certified mental health facility. We should be able to handle this. My, I guess my first response would be, is that well, obviously you're not. Yeah. Like if this is this isn't having a having a young lady screaming in the basement for two hours because of God knows what is going on down there. Right. Isn't handling anything. Mm-mm. Like that's the opposite of handling something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. I mean, um, so those kinds of those kinds of little statements are. are are very um, telling. Yeah. You know, uh, because sometimes uh, those answers tell more of the story than you might expect. Like, well, we should be able to handle this. Yeah. And and you would agree saying, yeah, you should be able to. Well, yeah, they should, but. (laughs) Right. But but, uh, that doesn't sound like anything normal or therapeutic or helpful. Right. Um, I have another friend. We had these cleaning supplies, cleaning supplies that we would use to clean the doors. And, you know, I don't think any of us had been thinking about drinking cleaning supplies. Like, I don't think that was on anyone's radar going in. Generally speaking, it's not something that people think about. Yeah. No, yeah. Uh So while we were there, they made such a big deal about the cleaning supplies have to be locked up. You guys can't have access to them without staff. And so one day my friend broke, and while they were having her clean, she opened it and just chugged cleaning supplies because she knew that she was going to get out of there for that. Because there was a mental hospital in the town that some girls had gone to, and they actually allowed you to call parents. They allowed you to call your friends there. You could – they had snacks that you were allowed to get there. The food was better. Um, You were allowed to wear makeup. You were allowed to fix your hair there. So yeah, psychiatric, like psychiatric hospitals are different, right? Yeah, like psychiatric hospitals are they're hospitals for one thing. Yeah, and, exactly. And uh, yeah, that's that's so a much different situation, right? There, yeah, sure, right. They, girls uh, would do stuff like drink bleach. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have, cleaning uh, supplies, Windex. Yikes! Well, you know, yeah. uh, again, it's like one of those situations where. People are doing whatever it takes to get out of there, and like you know, like mm-hmm. we were saying, you can't you can't really effectively run away because they'll just. It was so far from anything. Yeah, I had well, actually too. I had a right. friend run away for two weeks. She stayed in a homeless encampment behind the Greyhound yeah. station in Asheville, and okay. um, she came back, and I mean, her story of leaving was just. At the time, that was like everyone's little beacon of hope was hearing about how she got away for two weeks. Uh, right. But she came back and she had STDs. She'd had to be sleeping with guys mm. who were in their 20s to, like, have a place to stay. I mean, it was horrible. But for all of sure. us, that sounded like the life compared to what we were dealing with. Um, right. Another friend of well, mine, she ran away for the day. And they ended up just getting in a car with whoever they could get in a car with. And it, mm-hmm. they had some creepy guy who said he was going to buy them alcohol. Um, right. But that was better than being there. Yeah, it seems like almost anything is better than being there. 
Yeah, anything. Wow. Well, um, that's incredible. Like, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost hard to find the words, like, to explain, like, what, what it's like there. But I think you've painted a really, really interesting picture, including yourself and, and others that you knew about mm-hmm. this one place in particular. But the interesting thing is that, you know, the first thing you said really was, well, it wasn't one of the worst places. Like, I've heard worse. Yeah. It and, definitely right, wasn't so, one of the worst. But and, but um, everything following that was, like, really nightmarish. Yeah, it was really nightmarish. But I was right. saying, luckily, I hadn't heard of anyone being sexually abused there. Um, right. Um, no one, I don't believe anyone was uh, denied food. I don't think that ever happened. I've heard of food denial. And we had a basement that kids were sent to. So if you were put on what was called safety, you would go sit in the basement. They still do this. I've actually mm-hmm. talked to a girl recently who got out a year ago instead of my three years. They still have the basement. That's where you go when you're on safety and you have a staff stare at you. You're not allowed to talk all you can do is sit there and think about what you've done or do your therapy assignments but usually right. you're just sitting um i've heard of other told, places um, having rooms small rooms yeah, that would lock you in right yeah i was told by somebody recently that uh she had been she was locked in a room for three weeks like yeah 24 hours a day like mm-hmm. they prisons aren't allowed to do that with prisoners no, especially like, minors. They're, I don't think you're allowed to do that with minors at all. Like even no, but it happens. But even in adult prisons, like if you're if someone's in solitary confinement or in isolation, they have to they have to by law get out into the like outside area for at least an hour a day. And what oh, I was that told is happen. that you're right. What I was told it was just continuous like isolation in a little room. Mm-hmm. Basically, with like you know, food slipped through a slot in the door, kind of a situation. Yeah, it wasn't quite like that. You would have a staff member down there. They weren't allowed to talk to you or really like make eye contact. But you weren't mm-hmm. you weren't physically alone. You were alone, but you weren't physically alone. And the basement wasn't like some dark, like dank, scary basement. I mean, it had carpet and couches, but. Right. You were still underground, and you weren't allowed to walk up the stairs, or you'd be physically restrained. A lot of times, people were physically restrained down there on safety for a long time. Uh, you couldn't go outside. The longest I've heard of someone being down there was two weeks at just not leaving the basement, but I believe there was a girl that was down there longer. Uh, I just don't want to say that if it's not true, because I'm not 100% right. sure about her yeah right right it's better better to stick with what we know than yeah because there's a lot of like speculation and mm-hmm. and that can work the other way too like yeah oh, this is, you're just like making like it's all speculative you're making it up and, well well what about the good stuff and, and you can get into that argument and and you definitely want to want to avoid that because mm-hmm. it's it's counterproductive um Oh, they minute, made me do the horse therapy, man. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, I just thought about horse horses. Therapy. No, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, they had gosh. these abused right. horses, and they would make us stand in a field with them and try to connect with them. And it was right. 
It was the worst. It was like my first week being there. I was so pissed off about being there, and they had me standing there with a horse. This horse doesn't want to talk to you. This horse wants to be left alone. I don't want to be there. I hate horses. Uh-huh. Uh, I've been. That was, I've heard of. I've heard of like uh, drug treatment programs that mm-hmm. do horse therapy like that, and, and yeah. I can't. I cannot understand that whatsoever. Like, I don't believe the. Believe me, the horse is not going to you to stop smoking crack or whatever it is that you're doing. Like, <laughs> it's just not going to happen. The um, horse, if anything, made me want to kill myself even more. <laughs> <laughs> well. I'm, I'm glad that you're still here with us, uh, JC, and um, I want to uh, thank you for uh, <clears throat> for sharing some of this stuff. I know that it's um, it's pretty brutal, but it's always nice to uh, kind of end on a on a, on a laugh. Because, yeah. You know, there's like gallows humor involved. I understand that. That like in any situation, you know, you're going to naturally find those good moments, those happy like funny moments mm-hmm. and um i you know you you in a field like having a stare down with a horse um, yeah. is pretty is pretty funny so uh yeah so uh, yeah so thank you for thank you for coming on and um maybe uh you know maybe in a couple of weeks we can do a follow-up um yeah tell a little bit more or or get into some different areas um I'm not sure. Maybe I can try to get some more, more survivors to talk to you from the same place, stuff like that. Yeah, that would be cool. Like because, like I was saying, you know, uh, the more the more voices we have, the the better ch- the chances, and that someone will listen. And yeah, and that's all that that's all my agenda is. If I have an agenda, it's that I want to be able to provide a platform for people who've gone through these programs um, to speak with like kind of like with one voice. Mm-hmm. So somebody will maybe hopefully start paying attention. So uh, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank, thank you very much for having me. All right. Have a good day. You too.